At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30 says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent dug, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. You may be seated. When I was a school-age student, I always disliked large projects, large school projects. Homework was fine, tests were okay. Homework I could usually finish up during a study hall period or in the evening time. Tests usually took, you know, a a week or maybe less um, to study for. But projects could sometimes just take so long that it just took up so much brain space that I just did not like them at all. You could get a, a, a project assigned at the beginning of the semester and it could last weeks, months, even the entire semester before the due date. Right? And what is the best way to do a project like that? Is it to do it all at once, finish it, and probably do a really terrible job because you haven't learned anything from that semester yet? Is it to wait till the very end, learn as much as you can, and then hurry up and quickly finish it, and your, your work is probably going to be rushed and pretty low quality? Or do you faithfully keep plugging away at it throughout the semester and finish it well, on time, with good quality? I'm not asking you what I did or you did during school. I'm asking what we should do. The third option is probably the best one, right? We want to faithfully plug away at those projects. Today, I want to talk about a project that's been given to us. 
It isn't one of those, those black cloud type of projects that's kind of hanging over us like a burden. It is a privilege to be a part of. It's a project that as we work harder at it, it brings us greater joy. And it actually brings the person who assigned it to us greater joy as well. A couple of unique things about this particular project. Uh, maybe better described as a calling for all of us or a mission. It's been given not by a teacher or a professor, but it's been given by Jesus himself. The due date for our project is, is uncertain. We don't know when it's actually going to finish. You'll spend the entire life that you've been given engaged in it, every bit of it. There's no putting a bow on it. There's no retirement from it or mailing it in. Our whole lives are going to be engaged in this mission. So today we're going to learn what our role is in this great project. So we've been going through a series called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. We've been journeying through with Jesus as he talks his Olivet Discourse, which he's on the top of the Mount of Olives with his disciples, teaching them about what is to come in the future. Jesus taught about the coming destruction of the temple we saw and all the, the destruction and the pain and the heartache and the misery that would come with that. In the last couple of weeks, Pastor Jeremy has been talking about the big question, are we ready? Are you ready? We learned that over the last two weeks, two weeks ago with uh, Noah being used as an example, the parable of the two servants, if you recall. We saw this last week illustrated through the parable of the ten virgins. We've seen the importance of being prepared for Jesus' return. Nobody knows the time of his return except God the Father. When Jesus returns, there will be no warning. Will we be ready? Will we be glad to see him when he returns? Or will we be caught unaware and lacking in faithfulness? So this week, we're kind of fleshing out what it means to be ready. We were told to be prepared, be ready. But what are we supposed to be doing exactly? What does it mean? To, what do we actually put our hearts and our hands into action, into doing, to be ready for Jesus' return? Jesus has given us the greatest project, the greatest mission of all time. He's made us his ambassadors to a broken world that needs to be reconciled back to God. He's given us the authority to go out and spread the good news, make disciples, watch as God reconciles people back to himself, and then he actually adopts them into his family. With that in mind, we're going to see today, until Jesus comes back and even beyond that, we are to faithfully serve the master. Faithfully serve the master. That's the big thing and I, want, I want us to take away with today. This, of course, brings up the question, who is our master? If you are a believer in Christ, your master is Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He rose again to new life to forgive us of our sins, of course, but also to purchase you to himself. We are his he is our Savior, but He's also our Lord, our Master, our King. He is the one who calls the shots in our lives from now on. We can't just do whatever we want, but it is out of love for Him and really a knowledge and a trust that we know that He knows what is best for us. We are given the privilege of serving Him in this, in this moment. But service isn't a begrudging responsibility like I talked about, that, the projects that always loomed over my head like a dark cloud. It's a new desire of ours given to us when we've been born again in Christ. If you are not a believer in Christ, 
the world, yourself, or likely your master. You spend your life serving a world that doesn't give you the peace that you crave. You serve at your job tirelessly only to be passed up for that promotion or that pay raise. You serve your appetites only to realize that they will never truly satisfy you. You follow your emotions only to find out that following your heart and doing what makes you happy doesn't truly actually make you happy and content. You go and buy things and travel and find new friends like the world tells you to do and only to be disappointed when you find out that it's all vanity. I'm encouraging you, if you don't know Christ, to get a new master. Look to Jesus. He alone is a master who's gentle and lowly in heart, welcoming you exactly the way you are, but then transforming you from the inside out by the power of his Holy Spirit, giving you all the love, satisfaction, and joy that you ever needed. So we need to faithfully serve the one true master of all things, Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at three ways we, serve, we faithfully serve the master, Jesus, as we prepare for his return. The first is that we are to respond rightly to what God has entrusted. Respond rightly to what God has entrusted. So I want to start reading our parable again, verses 14 to 18, where it says this. For it, pause there one second. Wow, Mike, two words in, we're already pausing. Sorry about that, but I need to clarify something. What is it? The parable this parable actually is a mirror image of the last parable. It's, it uses the same verse. So look back to verse 1. It says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. So when this one starts, it, it's referring to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I want to start again. So for it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went out at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had, made the two, had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. So many of you have read this passage many times. Many of you have heard this passage preached many times. I really want you to try to clear out some of your assumptions that you've already made about this passage because there's something that I think God wants to show us here that uh, it was new to me, and I pray that is new to you. Um, he, he revealed some things to me that I pray is helpful for us today as we understand this passage. The confusion comes because of one word. The word is talent. word is talent. We know what a talent is, right? It's something we're proficient at. It's something we're good at. That's what it means in, in English. That's not what this passage means. I don't think this is a, it's a good interpretation to make this jump to spiritual gifts right away, and I'll explain that more in a bit. What we need to know is what a talent was in first century Israel when Jesus was preaching this message. A talent wasn't a proficiency. It wasn't something someone was good at. It was actually a measure of weight, like a pound. It was normally referring to a weight of something very valuable, like copper, silver, Gold. The more rare the metal, the more valuable the talent's worth of weight was. So to simplify it for our modern ears, with St. Patrick's Day just recently, basically it's a, it's a sack of gold. Or even more basic to our understanding, it's a big bag of cash is basically what a talent was in those days. So many scholars estimated that one of these talents, these bags of silver or gold, 
would have been the same amount of money that a, uh, a regular day laborer would have made in half of his working lifetime. 20 years of labor is what a day laborer would have earned. It would have been one talent. So for our purposes today, I'm going to estimate one talent to be about $1 million. $1 million. So this wealthy man, to put it in our terms, this wealthy businessman is about to go on a journey, calls together his employees. He starts out handing ridiculously large amounts of money to his employees. Five million here, two million here, one million here to the last employee. He leaves for his journey with little direction on what to do with the money or when he's going to return. And the three servants start to put this money to different uses. Just a note about the master. He's not handing out abilities, which is how we would have interpreted this if we think talent equals spiritual gifts. But he is giving out money based upon the abilities of his servants. But zoom out for a second. This kind of trust is craziness. This kind of trust that the master has with his servants is, is extravagant, to say the least. The master's handing out $8 million to mere servants. He knew that these servants probably never had more than a few weeks' wages in their nest egg at home, and he's handing them 20 years' worth to the, the third servant, 40 years' worth to the other guy, and 100 years' worth of wages to that first servant. That is extravagant trust. The master is clearly not being conservative with his riches. The extravagance of this kind of trust should have been a very strong indicator to the servants on how does my master want me to use this money? He was extravagant. What am I supposed to do with this? It should have been a very strong hint that he wanted them to do what he did. Take risks. They were to be bold with what he had entrusted them. He took great risk. They were to take risks as well. Be courageous is what he wanted them to do with this tremendous amount of money that he had lent them. And that's just what the first two servants do. They are the faithful servants, as we're going to see. They go at once to the markets, and they begin trading. They take risks. They could have lost it all. They're courageous and bold with the money they're given. Now, I'm not going to look at the result of their trading yet. Because honestly, I don't think it's very significant. It's their eagerness to go and do something. Don't look at the return on investment. Look at their eagerness. Look at their desire to go and do something with what their master has given them. To contrast their their boldness, their eagerness, their courageous risk-taking, we see that third servant. He was given roughly $1 million in today's money. This is no small amount. We sometimes look at this parable and we're like, oh, that poor third servant, he's only got one talent. I'm sorry, but if someone dropped a million dollars in my lap, I'm not expecting anyone's pity. I would more than welcome that. How does this guy respond? He isn't bold or courageous. His master just gave him an extravagant opportunity and he squanders it. He doesn't imitate his master's risk-taking. He decides to spend all his energy making sure that what he has received remains unchanged. He buries the money in the ground and spends the rest of his days until the master comes back guarding it, ensuring it remains pristine. Pastor Jeremy and I were talking about this passage earlier this week, and he illustrated, I think, the third servant really well. And he said, it's basically like a guy who's got this treasure, and he just sits on it and guards it with a gun. 
right? Like, that's all he's doing. He doesn't care about the treasure. He's not really using it. He hasn't really received it. He's just guarding it with a gun. I also think of another illustration. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have played Capture the Flag, right? I think of the strategies in Capture the Flag. Is it really a good idea to say, hey, let's play defense, all of us. Let's all just huddle around our flag and make sure no one can touch it. Is that team ever going to win? No, they're not even trying to win. They're trying not to lose, which is ironic because that's actually a losing strategy. Eventually, they'll probably lose. So remember, these parables are metaphors for something more. Jesus is the master in this story. He is the man who goes away on a journey. Remember, he's ascended into heaven. And as we've said, we are waiting for his return. But are we ready? First, we must ask, what has God entrusted to us? What has he entrusted to us? This is perhaps spiritual gifts, but I think this is way more than spiritual gifts. What is the treasure that we've been given? This is way more than a million bucks. Friends, this is the gospel that we've been entrusted with. God's message of redemption through the perfect life, sacrificial death, triumphant resurrection of Jesus. The message that sinners can fall at Jesus' feet and he will give them new life, new purpose, new family, and a new future. Jesus has given the extravagant gift of his own life to us so that we might have life with him. That's what we've been given. That's what we've been entrusted. Have we responded rightly to that? Are we bearing the good news about Jesus? Or are we generous, bold, courageous with that message? Some might think it's our job to protect the gospel. And by that I mean uh, lobbying harsh criticism at other Christians in the name of truth as if it's our job to make sure everyone is conformed to our image and has the exact same theology as we do. But we actually care little about sharing the gospel with the world. That's not our job. God will protect his gospel. Our job is to actually be generous with the gospel, take a risk by letting it go out into the world, spread it liberally and see the growth that the Lord brings and how he brings joy to us. So we're looking at three ways to faithfully serve the master as we prepare for his return. First, we are to respond rightly to what God has entrusted. Second, we're to reinvest for the kingdom of God. Reinvest for the kingdom of God. So I want to read this passage again really quick from 19 to 28. And uh, then we're going to pick out some things that I think are really interesting. 19 to 28 says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received that what was mine with interest. And so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. So the master returns after a long period of time and sees how his servants have been doing with, in his, with his treasure in his absence. He rewards and reprimands them, not based upon their competency, on their, on their, uh, their talents or their abilities or anything like that, but according to their faithfulness. So I want to cruise through these two groups of people and point out a few things that I find very interesting. First, I want to talk about the faithful servants, the first and the second servants. So they, they receive the exact same reward for faithfully investing the treasure and gaining a return. They receive their master's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. And they receive not a removal of their responsibilities, like, hey, take a break. They actually get more responsibilities. But also with that increased responsibility comes increased shared joy with their master. It's like a successful law clerk uh, being made a partner in a law firm. There's greater responsibility, yes, but there's also greater shared joy with the boss. This is the type of increased joy and responsibility Jesus offers us as his servants, as his followers. We serve him now by sharing the gospel, making disciples. We will share, or we will serve him in the future, reigning and ruling side by side with him over the new heavens and the new earth. Our service to him doesn't end. It gets greater, but we get more and more shared joy with him. So the third servant, let's talk about him. He doesn't actually see anything personally to gain by taking risks with his master's money. He's thinking in self-interest. What do I have to gain by investing this money for my master while he's away? I don't, I don't owe him that. I'm, I'm just going to give him what he gave me, and I have nothing to be gained. So why am I going to bust my tail all, uh, all the while he's gone to earn him money? I'm not doing that. So he buries it and brings it back to his master, master in the pristine condition when he returns. But he's mistaken about the character of his master. He thinks he's a, a cruel man who seeks a profit through the toil and exhaustion of his servants. But this isn't true at all, as we're going to see in just a second. This servant has mischaracterized his master and has led him to doing the wrong things while his master was gone. He was so terrified of his master that he doesn't want to even come close to risking the money in the marketplace, so he just buries it. The master actually uses the, the third servant's words against him. I don't know if you noticed. He's basically saying, oh, you think I'm greedy and treat my servants severely and use them to make profit? That's what I'm like, is it? Then why on earth didn't you go and seek to make me a profit? Are you trying to displease me? Is basically what the master is saying. But if, if his master was truly money hungry, like he thought he was, then he, shouldn't, then he should have done something about it to please his master. He condemns himself really by his false assessment of his master's character. But the third servant, again, is not condemned for having less money to invest or having less ability. Ability has nothing to do with it. The third servant is not condemned for losing money. I really don't think the master would be angry and condemn him if he had put it all out there. 
if he had risked everything and he didn't quite get the return that he was hoping for. The third servant is condemned because he refuses to even try. His initial investment, that that one talent, that one million dollars we've been talking about, is actually given to the the servant who now has ten million dollars, ten bags of cash. The fact that the master doesn't have these ten bags, I think, is very significant, right? Because the first master offered all that money back to the master. But here we see the master doesn't have it. Who has it? The first servant. He's actually given the money back to the first servant, all of it. The initial investment, the return, all of it. Servant number three was wrong about his master's character. He was dead wrong. His master is generous. He was graciously welcoming his servants into the mission. He's sharing more than just the profits. He's he's giving away the initial investment as well. He's not doing all this to gain wealth off the sweat and labor of his servants. No. He gave the investment simply to see the look on the faithful servants' faces by being blown away by his grace. That's why he does it. So if a businessman leaves uh, and gives you money to invest, you invest it. So that when he returns, you and him are both mutually filled with joy. If a baker leaves his shop for you to care for, you, you think up new recipes, you dream up new strategies, you advertise to grow your customer base so that the baker's return will bring you and him mutual joy. If a biologist is your master and leaves you his laboratory, you don't try to just keep the instruments pristine, but you, you put them to use in order to keep learning, keep making discoveries so that his return will bring both of you mutual joy. And if God leaves his earthly kingdom for you to care for, you share the message of his benevolent grace available to all through Christ. You seek to expand his territory, welcome people into his family so that more and more people are filled with joy when he returns. So how do we faithfully invest in the kingdom of God? Is it doing all we can to remain unstained by sinners around us and to sit in our ivory towers and throw grenades at other Christians for not being as theologically smart as we are? No. When it comes to the gospel, prudence isn't really how we care and protect for the gospel. Generosity risk-taking, a life of adventure, sharing the gospel is how we ought to treat it. The gospel is best protected when a large number of people have it. So go and share it liberally and freely. I think of the days when, uh, before the printing press, um, years and years ago, obviously I wasn't alive, uh, but years and years ago, was the gospel safer in those days, free from people who might misinterpret God's word? No, in fact, the religious elite, those who actually had their Bibles, were preaching false messages. The message of the gospel had become distorted. That's why the Reformation in the 16th century was an effort to recover the truth of the gospel. A large part of it was getting the Bible in people's hands so that the whole world would be swarming with people that have God's word in their hands and they themselves can understand it and proclaim it for themselves. So go for it. Let's swarm our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's not play defense, trying to protect the gospel with all of our energy. God will protect his gospel. You and I are called to go and share it. 
We get to go and share Christ, uh, what he has done through a cross and an empty tomb 2,000 years ago. We get to share how sinners like us can be reconciled back to God himself. We get to watch lives get transformed as the truth sinks into their hearts. But the beautiful and freeing thing is that we're not judged, we're not, uh, we're not judged by our aptitude. We are judged on our faithfulness. Our reward is based upon our faithfulness to the master. The first and second servants are rewarded the exact same way. So get out there. Take a risk. Share the good news. Make a disciple. Watch God work through you by the power of his Holy Spirit. We are to have a reverential fear of God. But are we like this third servant who are terrified of God? We're misjudging his character. Or are we uh, serving him out of joy and security? If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, your identity as his child cannot and will not change. So take some risks. Share the gospel and share in the joy of the master. If our religion is a religion only focused on not doing wrong, then your religion is not Christianity. The Christian life and mission is one of adventure and mission and shared joy with Jesus. It's not just what we don't do, it's what we do. What are we doing for him, for his mission? So we're looking at three ways to faithfully serve the master, Jesus, as we prepare for his return. First, we need to respond rightly to what God has entrusted. Second, we're to reinvest for the kingdom of God. And lastly, we are to rem remember the return of the Lord. Remember the return of the Lord. So let's look at our last two verses, 29 and 30 again. It says, For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as you probably know by now, this parable is far more than just a story about a businessman who leaves his servants with the opportunity to join in some investing fun. This parable has an incredibly important spiritual meaning. Jesus is the master. He is the one who is extravagantly generous. He's disciple-making. He's desiring for undeserving servants to share in his joy. That's clearly Jesus. The bags of money or the talents are the, the most valuable thing we have. The gospel, the life of Jesus granted to us as a gift. The faithful servants, they spend their lives, their sweat, their toil, their abilities on increasing the gospel's impact around them. They're welcomed into eternal life where they will share increasing responsibility and joy with their master. And then the wicked, slothful, worthless servant, as he's called, he does nothing. He gets the beautiful gospel message dropped in his lap, but he never really receives it. He treats it like it's some sort of fragile egg. He's afraid to break instead of an unstoppable truth that he absolutely needs to receive and it demands that he gives it out to other people. He's cast into outer darkness, into hell. He's not wicked because he did something wrong. He's worthless because he chose to do nothing with the greatest treasure he's ever seen in his entire life. Jesus is going to return. Remember that. What has he told us to be doing in his absence? Uh, in Matthew's gospel, at the very end, it says these words, And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So have we, have we stewarded the gospel poorly? Knowing that Jesus is returning, who are we eager to bring into his kingdom? Who is our one person we'd like to have a spiritual conversation with this week? Who is that one person you've been praying for diligently? Who is that one person you want to serve in some way to, with the love of Jesus very soon? Who is that one person who keeps asking questions about church and why you go and what does it mean, but your answers never go beneath the surface? What is your plan to be generous with the greatest gift you've ever been given this week? We've been called as ambassadors of Christ, as stewards of his gospel. What does faithfully serving Jesus look like for you this week? This project, this mission, this calling that we've been given is not some sort of dark cloud, as I've mentioned, that hangs over our head for the rest of the semester, for the rest of our lives. It's not something we need to set time aside for, because it is our life. The adventure of pushing forward God's kingdom by being about his work of sharing the gospel and making disciples is so woven into the fabric of our day-to-day lives that it's not even a project anymore. It's just who we are. It's a joy. Jesus is not a hard master who seeks to, to squeeze and enslave every ounce of free labor from us. He is extravagantly generous, giving us his very own life so that we might have life through him. He asks us to steward that life he has given us well for the expanse of his kingdom, for our mutual joy. He wants us to faithfully serve the master. So take an inventory of your life this week, your opportunities, your relationships, your abilities. How does Jesus want you to use them to advance the only thing that truly matters, the kingdom of God? I'm confident that if we keep faithfully seeking Jesus, growing in him, being open to him, using us to share about him to those around us that desperately need to hear him, making disciples, we will one day hear those words that all of us so deeply crave to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word and the power of it. We thank you for your extravagant generosity in sending your son to live a perfect life that we could not, to die a death on a cross, and to raise again to new life, giving us new life. We thank you for this gift that you've given us. Help us to steward this tremendous gift of your gospel well. Help us to go out to all the world sharing the good news about what Christ has done. But not just all the world, but right here. Let's share it with our neighbor. Let's share it with our our coworkers. Let's share it with our families. Lord, give us the boldness. Give us the words to speak. We know that you will not leave us or forsake us. And that you are here to empower the work of your mission as you send us out to share the good news of what you've done. May you get all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.